The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance on News Talk. Ireland's love affair with cocaine is a tale of violence and crime spreading over an international network and taking hold of Irish society. A new book called Cocaine Cowboys is an in-depth investigation into the Irish drug trade and the criminals calling the shots. More astonishing still is middle-class complicity in this underground regime, with one in every 40 in Ireland admitting to having snorted cocaine in the past year. The author of Cocaine Cowboys is Nicola Talent, who's with me now. Good morning and welcome. Good morning, Pat. Thank you. Now, this is an astonishing enterprise because it it brings us, you know, from the very beginnings of the importation of drugs of various kinds into this country right up to date and the difficulties that the Kinhans have in their hideout in Dubai, particularly at the hands of uh, the Americans. Um, but straight away, I get a text here. It says, uh, why not just legalise drugs and put these gangs out of business? That's from Hugh. What's your answer to that? Yeah, that's really, you know, gets thrown out a lot without much thought behind it. And I suppose, you know, legalising drugs, okay, I think we're probably on the way a lot of countries to maybe legalising cannabis. But when you're dealing with cocaine, you know, the suppliers are in our major cartels in some of the South Americas, in Colombia, in Venezuela, in Peru. They are, I mean, they're not exactly into human rights, shall we say. They're creating huge misery and murder. Um, corruption, etc. So what are we going to do? Send our government out to do deals with them to buy in cocaine so we can sell it legally? It's just not as simple as that, is it? Mm. You also have the problem that, you know, the, the drug dealers are there. They're not going away. Cocaine is a particular product. They're more than likely sitting in a factory somewhere having a meeting about synthesising it, you know, making it perhaps in Europe, so they can cut out the transport. There's all sorts of new drugs coming in the market all the time, and there always will be a black economy. Uh, The dealers aren't going to let go of it so easily. So I don't know. I don't have exactly the answers, but I do think perhaps in in my lifetime, cannabis will be legalised. But you do say uh, it's time to shame the cocaine users. Now, this is echoing the words of people like Father Peter McVeary, Mm. who say the middle class is absolutely complicit in this murderous trade? I mean, there's just no doubt about it. The thing about cocaine, and there's been this sort of cocaine gold rush for a lot of dealers, they've made an enormous and absolutely eye-watering amount of money. There's street dealers, violent street dealers, have been turned into millionaires in a matter of months or years. Um, Funded, of course, by polydrug users who'll take anything all week long, a lot of them with addiction and underlying health issues, mental health issues, some of them. But by this big boom at the weekend, economic boom that goes straight up the lines to the likes of Daniel Kinahan and it's middle class people with jobs going out at the weekend to have a night out and feeling the need to, you know, boost up their mood or whatever with a bag of cocaine. And every single penny is going straight up the line and misery is coming straight back down. There is a disconnect. You make the point that people in the middle classes can be so fussy about the provenance of the food they eat, you know, that everything has got to be just so and they need to know where their beef was raised or where their avocado comes from. When it comes to cocaine, they don't know and they cannot know and they don't care. Well, that's the way it seems to be for sure. And I mean, I don't know if it was any other industry and, you know, going right back to the production lines that people were treated as badly and were, you know, killed in the ways they are. And, you know, the damage is done on this end of the thing to communities, 
you know, you think of yeah. some of the many communities in Ireland that are really, you know, in a desperate state because of drugs where children are being radicalised to become killers. You know, would you proudly go out and, and purchase that and support that industry? But that's what you're doing if you but buy that's cocaine. that's what they're doing. And you see, the difference with cocaine is because, of course, the cocaine started coming in after we'd had sort of two waves of a heroin epidemic. And there was this total shame attached to heroin. You wouldn't have taken heroin out and shoved it in your arm in a pub or in a nightclub, proudly taken it, offered it round to your friends. There's a shame attached with taking it. Um, and dealing it, actually, even within the drug dealers. They sort of look mm. down their noses on the heroin dealers. But cocaine is different. It has this very cool image and people are quite proud of, of taking it. Um, you say at the very beginning of your book that it's in every parish. It's yeah. in every town in the country and it's easy to access. Most definitely. And it's that availability that has really... There's a lot of things like, I mean, the demand has been fueled by many things. But one of them is the availability. There was a time some decades ago that if you were in a rural pub and you fancied taking a few lines, you'd probably have had to get into your car and drive to Dublin to buy it. But now it's come to all users. Um, I was talking recently to Dr. Colin O'Gara and the John O'Gods, an addiction expert, um, one of our top experts in addiction. And he talks about people coming in in their 60s and 70s, first time drug users with problems with 60s cocaine. and 70s? Yes. And they are in their local pub having pints and they're offered cocaine and they take it. And I mean, it is quite extraordinary. I was looking for something on my phone there yeah. um, to show you because it, it's a guy who is announcing to the world in a Western county that his club has recently got a sponsorship from a particular outfit and he's showing the new sweater with the, the logo. When you zoom in on the table behind him is cocaine and a credit card. Yeah. And he obviously wasn't either didn't care or was oblivious to the fact that he, yeah. he was exposing himself as a cocaine user. Yeah, extraordinary. And, and look, you know, as I said, a lot of people think that that's all right. It's not a problem to use cocaine. I mean, you know, there's people just u- using it openly on their hands. There's been reports of that. There's young kids, actually, which is even more worrying. Teenagers are being offered and are using cocaine. Teenagers, you know, 15, 16, 17. It's cheaper it's easier to smuggle into venues, to concerts sure. and stuff like this. And it's cheaper than alcohol and they're seeing it as it's becoming a normal sort of drug of choice. Uh, one of the saddest chapters in the book, and there are many uh, sad chapters because you talk about the murders and some years were multiple gangland murders, but the death of Katie French is mm. very sad because she became a chronic user of cocaine and fell in with a bad lot. She did. And, you know, that was really at the end of that sort of Celtic tiger boom. You know, there was this sort of hedonistic party years as Ireland became rich. And what I found interesting in sort of, you know, probing into the investigation, because there was an investigation into Katie French's death. There wouldn't be very many investigations. I noticed there was about 130 drug deaths last year. Um uh, from cocaine and I don't think any of them are being investigated to be honest with you but it, this was a high profile and celebrities sometimes have a different status in, in, in the country. So it was investigated and what I found interesting was that deal that she did at a garage outside Ashburn can be traced the 200 euro she handed over to the dealer. I can trace that back into the pocket of Gary Hutch 
and onwards to the Kinahans, who were at that point... They were still pals at that point before... They the, were still pals. They were in Spain. They were being looked at by Europol for the first time, realising we have a big problem with the Irish here. And three years later, they were, we were told, dismantled at worth 100 million Operation Shovel in 2010 in Spain. Ten years on from that, little bit plus, the DEA tell us they're worth one billion. The Kinnans, if you like, are the most high profile of uh, the current dealers. In your book, you, you explain how, you know, if the Kinnans are finding it uh, hard to do, well, they just then kind of wholesale it to third parties who then wholesale it to further parties down the line and they don't get their hands dirty really at all. Now, it may not give them the markups they were getting in the past, but they're still making pots of money. Well, they are. And I mean, you know, they're still being linked to massive big shipments of cocaine out of Colombia. They haven't stopped, essentially. The gang has been dismantled in this country. And the sort of the How international... How many of them are in jail? Well, funny, there's four of them got out in the last week, have already completed their sentences. There's 70, 80 people linked to the yeah. the Kinahan organisation in prison. One very significant character walked free from jail on Friday, having served his sentence yeah, and, and in relation to there's a headline in one feud. of the papers this morning Exactly. About that. So they are coming to their ends and still that international effort is still ongoing to dismantle the, the top echelons. And it just shows you how long it takes, how much work it takes, um, how many partner networks you need from across the world to dismantle these groupings. It's not easy because they're so far away from the dirty work. Now, you talk about heroin and the shame attached to it. And as still around this particular area, you can find someone in the alleyway behind this building uh, who, shooting up in the middle of the day or, um, you know, mm. burning heroin and inhaling it or whatever in a, in a pipe. You still see that. Uh, but the nature of heroin is that it brings people down. They have an initial rush, but it's it's not something that is going to make them wild. Cocaine uh, in quantity will have the opposite effect. Is that where the bravado comes from, that the younger cohort are prepared to shoot anybody who gets in their way? Most definitely. I mean, you know, you talk about somebody sitting in an alleyway in the middle of the day shooting up heroin. Like, I have found that most heroin users and addicts are that way because of traumas in, in their past. Nobody wants to be sitting in an alleyway shooting drugs into their arm and to be totally governed by it. Cocaine is very different because it does give people this boost. A lot of the users, interestingly, are males in the 25 to 35 age group where they're going out. There's a lot of pressures on people. You know, there's a lot of pressures on people to socialise, to be confident. Um, and I think that's why they're taking it recreationally. Um, then what you have is within the drug gangs, the guys, the young people who are taking guns and shooting one another, there's a violence, there's an absolute battle for all the money that is to be made for it. And there is a bravado. A lot of them are taking cocaine, a lot of them are taking steroids, but not everyone who takes cocaine takes up a gun and shoots people. There's a kind of a culture that has seeped in because of cocaine. I'd nearly call them the, the sort of the Instagram gangsters, you know. And it is this culture that... It's the live for the moment. It's this incredibly violent, uh, violence beyond anything we have seen before. By its very nature, we look at what happened in Drogheda and the murder of Keane Mulready Woods, which is just extraordinary. And it's a line in the sand which is now being crossed. And this involves dismemberment of body. Mm. You know, it, it, it is extraordinary. I was recalling when I was reading the book about how seldom 
a murder would be reported on Irish radio when I was growing up. Yeah. You know, it would be a rare thing and we'd all talk about Shan Mohangi or whoever it was uh, who had committed a murder. Um, it's different now. I mean, there, there's a murder every week or more that is reported on the news and we scarcely bat an eyelid. The feuds really is when you get this kind of upsurge of murders and those feuds are bubbling away. There's already, there's a few of them going on in Dublin at the moment. What's happening is there's these very young kids being recruited by the gangs to go and to sort of shoot up people's houses, to break up their cars, they're, you know, painting graffiti round. It's this sort of it builds and builds and builds these feuds and that's exactly how it started in, in Drogheda with these radicalised kids being sent out and unfortunately they all result in murder. Um, you know, people have short memories. They don't remember where it all began. I mean, at the beginning of your book you talk about uh, Fine Gael TD, Jim O'Keefe standing up and warning about the uh, the finding of cannabis uh, in shipments off the south coast and how the Garda resources need to be upgraded, which they were to you know, a dozen people or whatever yeah. and uh, two ribs instead of one, that kind of uh, thing. But when you go back in time, I mean, there is a, a hall of infame which should be writ large across our history. And you're going back uh, to people like Eamon Kelly, to mm. to the Dunn family. And then more recently, you're looking at McCarthy, Dundons in Limerick. There's a whole raft of people at uh, the Hutches, the Kinnons and so on who should be literally writ large for us to know who they are, where they came from, what they did, how they destroyed the fabric of much of their own communities. And there's many, many more that we don't know their names of who are in the shadows and, you know, who are operating. A lot of them, just like any other corporate with a business, they're accepting their profits, they're accepting their losses and they're not going out shooting one another and whatever, but still they are also destroying the fabric of society. And the problem with cocaine is and what we're seeing in Europe is the corruption and the amount of money there is, the corruption of port workers, the corruption of certain industries. Maersk, the shipping company, came out recently to say its workers are under massive pressure from the drug gangs because, yeah. of course, they're being pressurised to ship. And it's there's just, so much money. So you know, the margins money. are so enormous. Yeah. What did you say at the beginning of the book that something that might cost 1500 leaving Colombia by the time it hits the streets in Dublin, might be worth €70,000. Like, there's no other product like it in the world. And, and that's why people are being killed. And that is why, you know, gangs are prepared to go out to war mm. and why they're prepared to destroy their own communities and the next generations to follow. Yeah. When you hear about uh, seizures or findings of uh, uh, cocaine and the, you know, the, the mishap with the trawler, the, the gang who couldn't steer straight and end up in a sandbag. <laughs> a good few of them, actually. <laughs> but it, like, is that only the literally, if you'll pardon the pun, the drop in the ocean? Yeah, I think sometimes when, when there's a focus put in a particular gang, there's intelligence coming in and they're hit again and again and again with these shipments, it can make a difference. But the likes of one off, even though it's two ton, 160 million um, on the streets, you know, you think, oh my gosh, there must be a lot of heads rolling for that. But it really isn't that much for them. Because they're looking at the original cost price, not yeah. the street value, which the police forces exactly. all over Europe will proclaim loudly. We got a, a, a haul of 200 million. But in fact, they might be looking more like at a, a million cost. For exactly. billionaires, that's nothing. It's nothing. But I suppose the, the whole point of the policing, and I think what has been learned over the years, is to go back again and again and again to keep them under pressure. 
really what they did back in the tango squad on Martin Cahill. You just keep the pressure on and eventually the gangs do almost nearly always implode with paranoia and and everything else. If you're one of these dealers, finally, Nicola, you don't generally live to a good old age. No, you don't. Mm. Um, you certainly don't. Well, it's usually you do either. have a chapter though about the comeback kings at the <laughs> end. <of> it. <laughs> so maybe had to throw them in because yeah, they just never stop, do they? Some of them they never stop. All right. Well, look, it's a terrific book. It's in far more detail than we could possibly get into uh, this morning. But you chronicle all the murders and mayhem that have happened. It's called Cocaine Cowboys, uh, subtitled The Deadly Rise of Ireland's Drug Lords. It's published by IRU and its author, Nicola Talent. Thank you very much. The Pat Kenny Show with Aviva Insurance. Weekdays at 9am on News Talk.